Happy Easter, everyone. I like to read a text from the scriptures. I like to pray. And then um, I want to share a couple pictures with you that, that mean the world to me. And I want to tell you uh, about the last time I cried, which um, I don't do very often. So, And, uh, and then I want to try to explain why in the text we're about to read, Paul seems so angry. So if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, it's in the front of your pews. You can grab one, or if you're upstairs, it's on the sides. Um, or you can just open, I'm sure your device has a Bible on it, or if all else fails, just look up, it's on the screen. The text goes like this. This is from uh, St. Paul, who wrote this to a community in Corinth around the year 54, so the f- first half century. 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, well, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him in, uh, if in fact, uh, if, but if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, We are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning that in the great tradition of Easter Sunday, since that very, very first Sunday, that you would do what you love to do on this day is surprise us. When we show up, when we dress up, when we come to a church service, um, expect, you know, just like the first disciples expect that Jesus would be in the tomb and the unexpected happens, we would come to church and just maybe expect the same kind of thing to happen every Easter, but that you would surprise us today, that you would meet us and something of resurrection power would, power would break into time and space right now and minister to us. Let us know that we're not alone, that we're not unseen, that you are with us. Would you anoint me, get my throat through this one last service? In Jesus' name, amen. Two pictures, I like to show two pictures. The first one, um, this is my mom, Rosa, and my daughter, Juniper. Junie at this photo was um, uh, a year and a half old. And uh, Junie loves my mom with 
a rare love and affection. All her grandkids call my mom Nana. But Junie, in, a, in Junie fashion, had to make up her own name for Nana. And if Junie makes up a name for you, you're, you're highly favored. Um, she calls her Nani. Now, she knew how to say Nana since really young, but she's like, no, I'm going to call you Nani. Here's a picture of us uh, laying my, my mom's body to rest. So this is November of last year. Um, my mom died with a, from a battle of cancer. Our friend Brianna, who goes to our church, and a few people from our community drove um, down to my hometown and was there, and she took this picture. I don't remember much of this day, to be honest, kind of a blur, but this picture captures, for me, when I look at it, and I look at it actually pretty often, it brings up all the things that I do remember from the day. So I, I like remember the day through this picture. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. To me, it's worth a hundred thousand words. I remember when I look at this picture, um, looking down in this uh, empty uh, or this, this uh, grave, and my mom's at the bottom of this grave, and I remember thinking, uh, oh my God, my mom is down there. The look on my face, I look lost and uh, resigned and dazed. And my daughter Juniper is right there, and she's peering over the edge, looking down. And Junie looks sad, but she also looks curious and almost expectant. Like, something else has to happen, right? Like, this can't be it. Like, I, I've watched enough Disney movies that this isn't, like, it. This can't be it. All of us, in some ways, have felt this, a feeling like this, of personal loss so great that you don't know how to face the world again. Now, this loss could be the loss of a loved one. It could be some loss that, um, that is like a death to you, but it wasn't like a physical death. Some loss that you've had, a loss of a marriage or a relationship or a friendship or a job or something that you've lost that to you was so deep that you could not explain it to others, let alone your kids, how, to, how you are processing this loss. So from this point on, the question became for us, my wife and I, Ashley and I, how do we talk about this event? How do we talk about this? And so like, you know, any kind of good parent does, I read the articles and read the books and how do you talk to your almost three-year-old about death. And since the day my mom's body was laid to rest, we tried to teach Junie what followers of Jesus have always taught throughout history about those who died in the faith. We have taught Junie that one day Jesus would return, and when that day happens, he would raise Nana's body from the grave and will be with Jesus and Nana again forever and ever and ever. Now, we have early documentation of this, of course. Around the year 49, Paul writes to a young faith community in Thessalonica, and he says this, 1 Thessalonians, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. 
For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever and ever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is what we've tried to teach our daughter. But a few weeks ago, Ashley came to me uh, in tears. I had just, uh, I would think I was drying dishes or something like that, and Ash just finished putting our daughter to bed. She comes in the kitchen with like, um, like sobbing, like tears in her face, and she's trying to hold together but wasn't doing a good job. And um, I looked at her, I'm like, what's wrong? What happened? What, what's going on? And she said that Junie keeps telling her that Nana is coming back soon and that Jesus would raise her from the grave. Actually, Junie just started preschool and they do like preschool yearbooks and uh, they all get a page and they get interviewed. And this is Junie's uh, page in her yearbook. And uh, they interviewed her and this is how it ends. Um, my special wish is for Nani to come back. So Ash stood in, the, in our kitchen as hot tears rolled down her cheek and she was afraid of what this was doing to Junie. This thing that we've been telling her, that Nani's gonna come back with Jesus. She feared the longer Junie waited, the likelihood of Nana not coming back could really hurt her trust in Jesus. What if she has like this Santa Claus moment when she stops believing in anything? Why couldn't we just repeat the Christian cliche? What all the books basically say to do is that she died and went to heaven and she's in a happier place than here and that heaven needed another angel and that she's smiling down on us from above. Why can't we just do that kind of stuff? And so there's a decision to make. How are we going to talk about this? And are we making this huge mistake in telling our daughter this? Now, a little about my wife. Um, she lost her, her own dad in a car accident almost five years ago. She knows all too well that no matter how many times she has the instinct to pick up the phone and call her dad, or no matter how many times she thinks she sees his face in the crowd or hears his voice, he's not just going to randomly come back. Now, I wanna teach you a phrase. And um, as, a, as a communicator, it's probably not the best thing to do to teach a very technical phrase on Easter Sunday, but I'm gonna do it anyways. Because it, this phrase will help you unlock what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 15. And the phrase is this, eschatological hope. Now, I know you wanna say it, go ahead and say it out loud. Eschatological hope. Just throw that around at brunch today and you'll be all right. The idea of eschatological hope goes something like this. Most times, our past pushes us into our future. So the things that have happened to us, our past hurts, our losses, our failures, our mistakes, our regrets, our traumas, these things push us into our future from behind. They're driving our future, these things that have happened to us. 
Like the energy that moves us into our future is this energy from the past, from what we've done and what has happened to us. Recently, for like the last few years, I started battling on and off with depression. And it's not a COVID thing. Um, and it's not a part of my story historically. I just started like a few years ago. And depression for me manifests when my past doesn't as much drag me down as much as it tries to push me from behind using my past experience to guide my future. Like, when I look into my future, all I see is my past pushing me with things like, people will always leave. You're all alone in this world. You have to figure this out alone. It's all on you. And of course, this is some family of origin stuff, but some of it is from experience, from hurts, from failures, traumas that I've, I've actually lived in my adult life. And the way that I experience depression, the way I experience it, is that I dig my heels in. I no longer want to be pushed by my past. I don't want to carry on to my future, so I stay put. I get stuck. I sulk. I go dark. I'm too afraid to move forward. And it drives me into a mild depression. I say mild because I'm sure my depression, the way it manifests, is mild compared to some others in this room. Now, Many of us live this way. You might not deal with depression per se, but you know exactly how this feels, where your past pushes you into your future. And so looking forward, all, uh, all your new experiences are run through the filter of all of your previous experiences. So when you move into your future, things like, these people will probably leave me too. Or this relationship will probably end like the last one. Or this church will be like all the other churches. Or I'll probably screw this new opportunity up as well. Or parents and grandparents don't come back. And this is, and this can be, the very opposite of hope. This is why some of us feel hopeless. We are being pushed by our past into our future. This reminds me of a quote by the late Eugene Peterson where he says that most of what we do when we look into our future isn't hope, it's more like planning. He says this quote, the difference between hoping and planning is planning is working out of our past and present and moving that into the future, trying to control the future or trying to anticipate it so you're ready for it. And so you're like, how did, I, how did this happen to me in the past? That's probably what's gonna happen again. How do I guard myself from it, protect myself from it, go around that thing? Now, there's nothing wrong with planning per se, but when the thing that is moving you into your future is only your past, the problems become clear. The problem is our past is littered with loss and hurt and broken promises and disappointments. Like, how in the world am I gonna get to a true and better future when my past is pushing me into it? Now, and here's the word. Here's the phrase, eschatological hope. Eschatological hope is the idea that it's actually God's good future that is pulling us into itself. We're not being pushed by our past. We're being pulled into a good and better future by God's promises, God's reality. 
It's pulling us forward. Eschatological hope is the sense that the energy that is moving us into our tomorrow isn't the energy of our past pushing us from behind, but the life and the energy of God pulling us away from our old life into new life. And this is exactly the point of resurrection. If you miss this point, you miss it all. Now, there's a difficulty I face every year, year after year of teaching on Easter Sunday, though it is a great honor to teach on Easter Sunday. Believe me, it is a great honor. But it also can be a a pain in the butt because most times we show up to Easter Sunday and we look into the empty tomb again and we say, cool, yeah, still empty, cool. And then we sing some songs and then we eat some brunch and then we leave, like unchanged. Leave without ever realizing what the resurrection means for our lives today. Now, some of us play along really good. We dress up, we sing, we clap, we smile, we say in response to he is risen, we say he is risen indeed. We like, we do the thing but deep down, we don't really get it. We're in that, we're in that phase um, at home where Ash spells out words in code so Junie doesn't know what she's saying. Like um, N-O-M-O-V-I-E or something like that. Now, this usually works great, but I, the problem is I grew up right before the like hooked on phonics thing where... I'm like a sight memory reader, so she'll start spelling a word, and I'm like, I mean, I should know this word. I'm sure this word's in the room, and I just play along. I'm like, yeah, okay, and then I'm like thinking, and she's looking, and I'm like thinking about what the word spells, or, or, or sometimes I just give up, and like, I spell the word in the air with one, I'm like, okay. oh, that's the word right there, and Ashley's like, no movie, no, that's what I'm trying to say, no movie. Now, most of the time I just play along. I act like I know what she's saying, but I, I really don't. Now that's like some of us on Easter. We play along, but we really don't understand this stuff. We don't really know what, what's the big deal going on here. Why do we show up to this thing? Now let me try to break down for you the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What the resurrection does and what we're supposed to let it do is pull us forward into God's new reality. We're supposed to allow it to, this is why Paul uses the the term first fruits. Jesus is like the first bud on what feels like an eternal winter to tell you that spring is coming. And that bud should pull us forward into there is spring that's coming. This is not an eternal winter. If you've ever grown up in like an, or you ever lived in Boston or the Midwest, I haven't, but I've heard it's bad. But it's very, very bad. And that first bud, that first warm day of, you know, 45 degrees and sun's out, you're like, oh my gosh, I never thought this day would come. It's that. Jesus is, the, is that to our what feels like eternal winter. And that should pull us into a future hope so that the energy that moves us into our future isn't our past, it's God's future. Now, what, what future does the resurrection pull us into? Now, Paul frames it here in the negative. Now, some of us, this is one of the reasons why we don't like 
Let's be honest. There's some people that don't like Paul, right? Like you read Paul, you're like, if he was like leading a community group, I would not go to that community group. <laughs> if he was in that community group, I wouldn't go to that community group. It's like, why do you have to frame it in the negative? You're talking about the resurrection. Why do you frame it in the negative? So this is what Paul does. And you might, you might not like this, but this is what he does. He says, well, no resurrection? Well, there's no, there's no one that, okay, well then, Jesus Christ didn't raise from the grave, and, and if Christ didn't, has not been raised and your faith is useless and, you're, and we're liars and your faith is futile, which means a waste of time, and you're still in your sins and those who are dead are lost forever and if only in this life you have hope in Christ, we are pitiful. Now, some people love being yelled at. You read this, you're like, yes, this is why I believe the resurrection. Like, I, you love it. You, like, you want people to yell at you that motivates you. Other people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're overreacting just because you're screaming doesn't make it true. Like you're just like so turned off by Paul. So let me, for those of you that like read this, you're like I don't, I don't get it. Let me try to frame it in the positive because you, you, could, do, you could frame it in the positive, it means the same thing. So what if yes to the resurrection? What if indeed Christ has been raised from the grave? Well, faith gives life meaning. Truth sets you free. This faith and life are worth living. Your sins and wrongs are forgiven. Those who died are just asleep. Those who died in Christ are just asleep. There is hope in Christ, this life and forever. Now, I want to click into a couple of these because I think they give shape and meaning to our lives today. First, forgiveness to all. Now, what Paul means by you're still in your sins if Christ hasn't been risen from the grave. This is almost like the climax of Paul's entire argument, that if Christ has not been raised, that we're still in our sins. Now, you might ask, what in the world does he mean by that? I thought the cross did that. I thought the cross took away our sins. Why is Paul saying without a resurrection, we're in our sins? Doesn't the Christian faith teach that Jesus paid it all on the cross? What Paul means, and this, again, this is eschatological hope. What Paul means is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has launched and inaugurated a new day, capital D. See, the resurrection was an event, and as the result of that event, the world is a different place, and human beings have the new possibility to become a different kind of people. No longer defined by the old life, the old way, the old age, but and the old age isn't pushing us into the, into the future. The new age has broken into our present age and is pulling us into new resurrected life, meaning we can walk in the freedom of our past. This new age Christ began means I can be pulled into the future from my old life into new life. This is... Uh, what Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. What that means is this new age, the way that you've lived in your past, that you've defined yourself by your past and all the stuff in your past, even being brought in on these like, being brought in guilty, but you're not really guilty because where's the guy at? Even if you've been a part of sexism, Jesus says a new day has dawned. You can live a different life now. There's a new life where you're not driven by your past anymore, but you can be pulled into God's new future. If resurrection means being pulled from the grave, the question in what graves are you living in? What graves are you trapped in that the resurrection needs to pull you out of? 
The second thing that it means, and this is really important, is that death is not the end. Now, you've probably heard this every single Easter, but this is how I want you to hear this today. We, we have to have answers. As followers of Jesus, we have to have answers. When my two-year-old daughter looks down at an open grave and then looks up at me asking, what does this mean? What comes next? She's, um, she's really into me telling her a story before bedtime, so I make up a story every night. And in the story, I always make sure something goes wrong or something happens that's kind of bad. And every single time she just goes, ah! and what happens next? <laughs> when we look into graves and she says, what happens next? We have to have answers. And these answers have to go beyond cliche. They can't be trite and they're not easy. Our world demands answers to the injustices that are going on currently in Ukraine, to the randomness of cancer, to the pain that COVID brought our world. There needs to be answers to these things. And the answer that the resurrection gives is that there is a future hope that God is pulling us into, a future of justice. So when injustice happens, and people die, and they seem like there is no consequences on this life, oh, there is a justice coming, where everything, every wrong, will be made right. A future we're being pulled into, a spiritual future that includes all our ethnicities and all our languages and all, all our backgrounds. So we're, we're being pulled into a multi-ethnic, beautiful community where racism and prejudice and all the isms will meet their match. And we're being pulled into that. This is why we, we, we work for justice. This is why we work for, for equality and unity, because this is what the future is. There's a future coming that we're being pulled into that, that those who have died will be reunited with us. You notice that Paul uses the metaphor of sleep. He says, those who sleep in death, both times, 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians, those who sleep in death. Why does, why does the church use the sleep metaphor when talking about death? Well, it means that those who had a really hard go of this life, through that time, pain and suffering for the gospel. In our time and where we live, it might not be that today, but maybe. Maybe be like something like the pain of chemo and cancer, chronic pain, deep depression, all while trying to remain faithful to Christ. The, the reason why we use sleep is that all of them will get the promise of rest. This world is weary. You can rest now. And, and most importantly, sleep contained within itself the very promise of awakening to a new day. These lives that we put in the ground will awaken to a new day. The last time I cried, and I, ha I don't cry that much up until very recently, and it seems that I always cry when I'm watching animated films with my daughter. 
This time it was Sing 2. Have you seen Sing 2? Sing 2. You will watch Sing 2 today, I promise you. <laughs> Sing 2. So it's, it's pretty much the whole cast from Sing 1. Of course you've seen Sing 1. <laughs> but there's a new cast member. That's a lion. His name is Clay Calloway, who is Bono from U2. If you don't know who U2 is, um, if you're over, like if you're under 30, ask your parents. Um, but they're in, insane. And in, in, this, in, this, in this animated film, uh, Bono, who's this lion, um, is a mega rock star that has fallen off the planet. No, he no longer sings. He no longer makes music. He is away from the public eye. No one has heard from him. And you find out as you're watching this that it's because the death of his wife has ruined him. And he's imprisoned himself. Literally, gate around his house, locked in his house, no one allowed in, which is a metaphor for what he's done in his soul. He's, he's stuck. He's locked himself in. Now, the porcupine in the, in the movie Ash, played by Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> goes to find him and somehow convinces him to do one more concert. So almost the end of the movie happens and the concert's about to, is going on and they're, they're backstage, they're about to walk through the tunnel to hit the, the main stage and he can't go through with it. Bono the lion, uh, Clay Calloway, he's just there, he's stuck, can't move. And he looks at Scarlett Johansson's character, he's like, I can't do it. And Scarlett Johansson's character decides to go out anyway. So she goes out to the center of the stage and she starts to sing one of his songs. And this is where reality and animation kind of blend because it's one of Bono's songs. And she starts to sing it. And then when she gets to the chorus, the whole audience starts to sing it. And, and Bono's in the backstage and he hears everyone singing a song, and he starts to look up, and then there's like a vision next to him of his future glory wife standing next to him. Here's a picture of it. I had to take this picture with my iPhone of my laptop because Apple will not let me take a screenshot of a movie I own, so <laughs> if you can fix that, someone, please fix that. So, future glory wife stands next to him. And in this scene, it's almost as if the wife is saying, it's okay, you can live. And so he decides that he can keep going forward and live, and so he walks out on the stage, and the song that they're singing is the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And so as he walks on the stage, he has a guitar and he plays the famous like the edge riff on the guitar and everyone, as soon as that riff hits, everyone just goes nuts in the audience. And I'm like sitting there going, ah, I'm like freaking out. <laughs> and he walks out on stage and as he comes through the tunnel, the crowd goes wild. And, and though the song, just, the song just started, the director of the movie or the producer or someone decided Let's have Bono come out of the tunnel singing the third verse of the song. And so Bono comes out and he starts to sing, I believe in the kingdom come. 
then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. He comes out singing about the kingdom of God that will come and make everything right and everything will bleed into unity. And then just so you know that he's not singing about his wife or even the audience, that he's singing about something different, him and Scarlett Johansson in harmony sing the next part where they both sing in the movie, you broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, oh my shame, you know I believe it. And then the whole crowd says, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. As if to say, you can carry on in this life in the hope of the redemption of Christ. And there is a day coming, though you have not found it here, you're still looking for it here, there is a day coming that can pull you into its reality. And I'm sitting next to my daughter, weeping. Like, just like, this is a good movie, this is a great movie, this is like a good film, like I can't believe this is so good. This is resurrection hope. That we don't have to be pushed or carried down by our past, but pulled into our future. This is what the resurrection means. So we tell Junie, one day Jesus will come back with a blast, with a trumpet sound, and with a shout. And Nana and Papa Robert will rise from their graves and will be with Jesus and them in the new heavens and the new earth. This is eschatological hope that says you can keep living. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I imagine that <clears throat> there are all sorts of ways that we live with this thing hanging over us. Maybe it's hopelessness. Maybe it's like being so deeply, deeply, deeply like led by our past that we can't imagine moving forward. Maybe there has been a great loss in, in, our, in our, our lives. Um, the death of someone or even the loss of something where we don't know how to move forward. I pray that there be something about the risen Lord that would appear to us like Clay Calloway's wife appeared to him. A future glory vision of you, Jesus, and says you can keep living. There is a future coming. There is a hope and it can, I'm gonna draw you into it with love. So I pray that hope would begin to break through the dark clouds and the heaviness that we're dragging in to this room. And hope would rise up. And it wouldn't be vain hope. It wouldn't be silly, cliche hope. But it'd be established true hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ.